Hey, everybody, it's Lee. I know we're heading into the offseason, so we wanted to give a shout-out to our title sponsor, NHL Sense Arena, one more time. And again, we have a coupon for $50 off an annual subscription when you use Hockey Never Stops at hockey.sensearena.com. I always like to remind everybody, I've been using this thing for six months, and I'm just blown away, not just from the VR aspect of it and the virtual reality side of things, but the ability to give different perspectives of the game, whether I'm playing as a goaltender, and I got to admit, it is really hard, but it has really given me a perspective from that point of hockey, which has made me a better coach and a better ice hockey player, or the skater modes, which help you work on cognitive skills and other things like heads-up play that you don't normally get to work on in a practice or a game. So I implore you to check it out. It helps us out. It helps them out. Support our title sponsor, NHL Sense Arena. Get $50 off an annual subscription when you use Hockey Never Stops at Hockey.SenseArena.com. Again, that's Hockey Never Stops. That's the code at Hockey.SenseArena.com. Check it out. And without further ado, enjoy this episode of Our Kids Play Hockey. Hockey friends and families around the world, welcome to another edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. We have a very special guest with us today. We're joined by Jack Han. Jack has a unique journey in the game, starting as a writer for the Montreal Canadiens website in 2013. And it was there that he first discovered his spark for coaching and analytics, which he put to use the following year when he became the video coach and analytics coordinator for McGill University's women's hockey team. In 2017, he joined the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's a team you might have heard of. In their player development department, and in 2019, he served as an assistant coach for the Toronto Marlies of the AHL. After the 2019-20 season, Jack went off on his own to become a skills development coach and hockey consultant. Jack is the author of the Hockey Tactics 2020, which dives into and details technical and tactical habits of the NHL's top players and Chell Guide, the first ever tactics guide for the EA Sports NHL video game series, which is awesome. <laughs> Perhaps most important, Jack is the creator of the Hockey Tactics newsletter, which I suggest everyone that listens or watches this show follows. It gives incredible insight and principles about the game from tactics to strategy to coaching and everything in between. Jack, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. It's a little bit chilly today, so it's, but, but I'm outside just to get a little fresh air. So uh, we're, we're good. We're enjoying there's nothing wrong with a little fresh air. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I want to start with your newsletter and blog because for lack of a better word, man, I, I just absolutely love it. I'm completely addicted to it. Uh, when I was a kid, I would search the, the early web, you know, the early internet for anything hockey related so I could learn. Uh, and there just wasn't much there, but I literally learned something every time you send out an email. Uh, and I got to ask what spawned you to leave the bench and pursue writing because th this, this blog and your current track is really transcendent. And it's something special, I think, in the hockey community. Sure. So, so I, I appreciate you using the word transcendent because because that's what we're we're going for here. But um, it's funny because uh, I was born in China. Uh, my parents and I moved to Canada when I was uh, six or seven years old. Uh, I didn't know that hockey existed prior to that, so I discovered that you know once I got to Canada. But my first talent in life wasn't hockey or it, was, it wasn't even sports. It was writing. And, and the reason is because, you know, um, a lot of hockey players got brought up by parents who played or grandparents who played or siblings who played. I was brought up by people who were educated and, and loved to read and write. And my grandfather was an elementary school teacher. And really, he was kind of my mentor in terms of developing my love for reading and, and and later writing like when I was five years old I was reading at a fifth grade level because that's the books that he had at his house he taught fifth grade 
Um, so I, I basically was, you know, very advanced for my age uh, all the way through. And uh, actually, when I got to Canada, obviously, I would watch the games on Saturday night, uh, Hockey Night in Canada. But a lot of how I interacted with hockey was through reading books at the library. So I would go to the library, I would check out every single book about hockey. And a lot of it was like, you know, old kind of yellow, like yellow page kind of like, you know, <laughs> books from the 50s and 60s and so on. But that's how I learned about hockey because YouTube wasn't around yet. Um, you know, I, I didn't have cable. I played hockey, but at the lowest level possible, essentially. So really, it was through hockey books and hockey writing that I kind of really fell in love with the game. You know, it's amazing because I think the three of us on here, the hosts, we have similar stories. You know, we're writers as well. We're coaches as well. And we all fell into the game. And, you know, what we have is this really deep love for the game just beyond the surface, which you clearly do too. And, you know, within your blog, one of the things I love is I love the system sheets that you do for each team. I've been enjoying the uh, draft dev articles you've been doing, but I really also love your insights into coaching. Uh, you're not afraid to challenge the status quo and you use history to back up a lot of your points. I saw articles about Anatoly Tarasov. It's a person we talk about a lot on this show. Uh, so for the audience out there, again, we have a lot of people in that U18 audience, coaches, parents. You know, what are your top keys to being a great coach? Because again, it, for you, it's not just tactics, right? I've seen your articles where you dive into the, you know, motivating an athlete or just the, the right things to be thinking about. But I wanted to hear it from your mouth. Well, you know, I, I, I don't have decades of coaching experience. I have a few years, but um, when I when I was in university studying uh, marketing at McGill, uh, one of my student jobs was actually coaching high school hockey where I went to school uh, when I was younger. And I would say one of the most satisfying coaching experiences I had, there's two of them. And one of them was one year I had a kid who had who had asthma. He, he was a bigger kid, like he was kind of chunky, like a little bit out of shape. And, you know, we, we respected his limitations and we kind of put him in spots to succeed. And he ended up leading us in goals because he was so good around the net. And, you know, he had a good shot for his age. He was, he was a bigger kid. And then, you know, we kind of lose touch for a decade and a half. And then I realized later on that uh, he's at Harvard on a lacrosse scholarship. Like he'd grown, he'd outgrow his asthma. You know, he didn't pursue hockey, but then that allowed him to fall in, in love with lacrosse and he was one of the one of the better long sticks players in Canada uh, in, in his birth year right so um, you know even kind of beyond just kind of like a nexus and O's level I really appreciate the connections I make and the ability to influence young people and just help them find their way and then the second uh, you know most rewarding thing is the, these kids who are you know 15 years younger than I am who I coached way back when um, I play beer league with them now Right. Like they're actually, they're, they're, they're better than me. And I've, sometimes <laughs> I have a hard time keeping up, but um, you know, they call me and, and they they want me to go hang out with them and, and go play hockey with them. And that for me is, is just super rewarding. And it's just awesome. So uh, you know, at the pro level, it's different. It, it's uh, the, the mindset is much different, but I basically, I like coaching because you, you can kind of mentor another person and share your experiences so that they can kind of do things better than you did. Right. And I love that lesson, especially for coaches of younger kids. You're never going to get that perfect hockey player 
at the younger years where they can do it all. So you need to look at the team and look at their strengths and weaknesses and use it to their advantage. Just like you saw with the, the one player with asthma. Okay, so he wasn't great, maybe not a great skater, but gosh, he was so good in front of that net. Let's get situations where he's there. That is such an important lesson to drive home to all coaches. Don't look at the shortcomings. Look at what the kids can do for the team and use them in those positions that are going to make the team stronger and better. You know, Jack, you bring up a great story there. You know, it reminds me of a time I was coaching. And Mike, I want you to talk about this too, because Mike is heavily involved in youth development. But when I was coaching in Europe, we had a player that uh, I used to call him a bowling ball, right? He just was not afraid <laughs> to go to the net. Um, but no one seemed to know how to utilize him. You know, he had a hard time understanding tactics. He had a hard time you know, really just kind of expanding beyond this one dimensional game. And instead of just pushing him aside, you know, we put him on a line with two players that really understood that side of it. And they were able to place him where we needed him to be on the ice. And he, he ended up being one of the top scorers on the team that year. Right. Um, the, the tragedy of it, and this is why I bring the story up is that uh, unfortunately, you know, he, he, as, as happens in pro hockey, you know, he started to think he was at a different level than he probably was. He went to another team and then he ended up like not scoring at all. Right. So I think with coaching and again, Mike, I want you to speak to this for a quick second too. And, and Jack, you as well, you know, it, it's that chess match that I love of finding the right position, the right piece to move to the right place at the right time. And then the other half of that as a coach is to really make sure the player understands the whys and the how of them being in that position and everyone surrounding them in that position. Right. I think back now, perhaps we didn't do a good enough job explaining to that player how he fit into the overall five people on the ice in that situation and why he was succeeding, right? So, you know, Mike, you first at the youth level, uh, you know, this is probably, we're talking, you know, 12 up now, but it's so important to explain, you know, the full picture with the game, right? Yeah, I mean, I think at that age and, and you know, to Jack's point, working with those little, the older kids, you know, they, they were the older men, women, right? That, that they're really kind of in their positions of where they probably are i mean they're you know it's 14 15 16 it's going to be it, it just becomes more difficult to change a, a forward to a defenseman and the everybody plays every position kind of mentality and philosophy has to sway a little bit because kids are just good at certain positions and they understand the tactics of the game so i think we're jack seeing you know, and Jack, I, you know, I, I would, I would imagine you even use like his ice time sparingly, right? Like putting him in and say, okay, well, here's an offensive zone situation. Here's a good time to put the player out there rather than maybe a, a, a neutral zone or an end zone faceoff where, you know, okay, well, he's not even going to get down the ice. So what's the point of putting him out there? He's not, an, he's not an advantage to us. So I think that's great that you can look at that tactically. And I would really love to hear, you know, how you presented that to that player, like how, how, you know, without him feeling, oh God, I'm just, I'm just pigeonholed into this one position. You know, I love the fact that if you're able to uh, articulate to the player that, wow, you, you know, you're going to be really valuable to us and this is how we're going to use you. And this is why we're going to use you this way. So uh, th this was back when I was maybe 18 or 19 years old. I, I was the assistant. I didn't really have a lot of ideas in terms of, you know, player deployment or tactics or whatever. And, you know, to his credit, it was more the player that kind of proved to us that he was, going to be able to do it like I remember this one time uh we were we were losing in a game by a, a goal or two and we played him a ton in the third and he came and he came off the ice like I'd never seen a, a redder face in my life <laughs> but just throughout the years like he, he just did such a good job and 
Um, you know, at, at the start, we weren't sure if he was going to be able to keep up, but, you know, he, he just kept getting a little bit better. He worked really hard, but then he really did a good job of showing us how to use him. Right. And, and I think the only thing that we did was we, we acknowledged that, but um, uh, to, to Mike, to another thing, kind of jumping off your point is um, at, at kind of that 12 to 17 uh, age level, like everybody's developing at a different speed. And I think, uh, you know, now I work with a lot of minor hockey players in that age group. And for me, it's all about uh, not treating everybody the same. And, and what I mean is obviously we, we want to treat everybody the same, but we shouldn't at that age, because if you do, then the best kids are not being challenged. And then the worst kids are being left behind. So you know, uh, one of my big mentors in hockey is Daryl Belfry, and he talks about the idea of stacking the deck. So either stacking the deck in your favor or stacking the deck against you, right? Yeah. So one way to do that, if you have a player who's really good or really big, uh, have have that player play a lot of one-on-twos. Uh, on the other side, if you have, you know, a couple of players who are smaller or maybe less good, um, have them play two-on-ones. Right. So that everybody gets to touch the puck and the bigger kids and the better kids are challenged. But then the smaller kids, they're able to make stops and they're able to touch the puck and they're able to have confidence. Like my favorite drill of all time for basically any age group is something that I call a, a two versus two plus one. So it's a two versus two down low. It's a small area game, really simple, right? You have, you have one goalie and then both teams kind of whoever has possession, they'll, they'll try to score. But then you have one designated offensive player who only plays offense, right? So what you do is if you have a player who's a little bit weaker, a little bit less confident, maybe a rookie, a player playing up, you put that player in that designated player position and he or she is touching the puck all the time. Uh, they're going to score a couple of goals. And within 10 minutes, you see this player's confidence just blew. Like they're, they're a changed person. And, and funny enough, I, I showed this drill to a friend of mine who coaches at the QMJHL level. So really high level players. And, you know, he tried it out and he said, you know, my players were talking about it all day. They thought it was awesome because it allowed them to kind of turn into somebody else for a moment there. Yeah, so can I just jump in there, Lee? Because I think, you know, so we'll just play this clip over and over and over again <laughs> later on. Because I think what, what to your point about, you know, following Daryl and working with him and, and your understanding of that concept, right? And I think, you know, I this is this is kind of not even a pet peeve, but like a teaching point where I hear coaches, especially at the youth level, say, oh, I always do three-on-three cross-ice at the end of the game. I go, yeah, or in the practice. I said, but, well, yeah, but your best players are still your best players. And your weak players are your weak players. So you have to manipulate that environment. And that sometimes it's hard for a youth coach to do that because they don't even understand the piece of, well, isn't the best player going to get the worst player of the puck? No, they're not good. They're going <laughs> to, they're going to dominate and they're going to try to go. So by, and I love that, you know, we play that game actually a lot. And we also designate it where we don't tell the goalies who the shooter is. And we try to have them, they get a point if they guess who the goal scorer is supposed to be. Because I think it's just for the kids to start looking and, and having deception and having all those pieces in practice really goes so much more advanced than just saying, oh, we do three on three cross ice for fun at the end of the game. Yeah, but you're not teaching anything. So I think that point of the tactic part at the, at, in any time in a small area game, right? I love that fact that you're able to say, well, we want to make our best players better and we want to make our worst players better. The only way we're going to do that is to be able to manipulate the environment so those kids can uh, have the chance to get better. 
And I think, uh, and I think the earlier we can institute that, uh, the better, but to your point, I mean, this is happening with 18 and 19 year old hockey pros, right? I mean, basically it's the same thing. Yeah. So the, the one, uh, I would say very unusual, maybe a little bit controversial thing about me as a coach is I don't have a drill book. Okay. So what, what, what I'll do is, um, contrary to most coaches where, you know, they'll take drills and, and they'll maybe tweak them or, uh, you know, kind of invent their own. What I'll do is I'll watch actual game sequences and then I'll think, okay, how do I reverse engineer the situation or how do I reverse engineer the situation with the twist? Right. So, um, and, and, and so I don't need to have drills memorized. I don't need to draw a diagram before uh, my players do a certain drill because it's, as I said, it's like, you know, two on two plus one, go, right? Or it's a, it's a two on one, go. Or it's a one-on-one retrieval plus a pass, go, right? Like, um, and, and the reason I do this, first of all, I think it, it forces me to be better in terms of learning from actual game scenarios and then try to reverse engineer that. But also, a lot of players, even myself included, don't do well when you have a lot of drawings on the board, okay? And whether right. it's uh, because I tend to get uh, distracted, that, that's on me, but some players simply, they have learning disabilities or they have right. some things that's out of their control. Like I remember um, hearing the story about uh, a former first round NHL draft pick, very, very skilled player, very high scoring player in this country, uh, draft in the first round, comes over to North America, uh, couldn't stick, right? And eventually goes back to Europe, has a very productive, long career there. He might still be playing. He's, he's got to be like in his mid to late 30s. Um, and the reason why he never stuck in North America, despite his, you know, elite hand skills or his elite skating is because he had a learning disability. So as soon as a coach showed him something on the board, it just, he could not absorb it. You know, he could understand maybe like simple, like audio cues, or he could understand video, but if you draw something on the board, it just, it, he would be unable to absorb it, right? So for me, a, a way to be more inclusive of that is basically, if you, if you tell a player, you're going to play two-on-one, everybody understands that, right? Whereas if you draw out like a very complex pattern on the board, not everybody's going to be able to uh, learn that quickly enough to actually do the reps correctly, even though they could do the reps correctly. You know, one of the great points you're bringing up, and I want to echo this for the, for the, especially the coaches that listen to our show is well, what we found in, in science backs this up is that people basically learn one of three ways, right? It's visually audibly, or they have to actually do it right. So, or, or see it. Right. So one of the points you're making is, you know, when I was coaching, I love that you, you, you're making me think of this story. I was coaching in Europe, like I said, and the head coach is a tactical genius. He is a tactical genius. And we're going to the locker room before games, before practices. And he is for 40 minutes, 40 minutes drawing stuff on the board. And then for 40 minutes after the game, frustrated that nobody understood what he was drawing on the board. And I remember I had to have a talk with him and he was, he was a great coach. He would always listen. He would always, this is the, the best part about him is he was always willing to, to listen to everybody's opinion. And I said that, you know, we're coaching a lot of 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds that do not have the attention span of five minutes, much less 40 minutes. So we need to rethink how we're explaining this stuff. And we really did. We kind of overhauled the entire thing. And then within, within weeks, we were seeing massive, massive improvement. But for the coaches out there, really think about how you're conveying the information to your players, especially as you said, Jack, if they have a learning disability, 
they might not be the type of player that can see it on the board. They, you might have to show them. They might have to see it on video, right? I mean, you'll always, you'll always get the players that can just see the board and do it. All right. But, but as coaches, we need to do a better job of, of explaining things multiple ways, as much as that might infuriate some people. Um, you know, the other thing too, Jack, I want to say is that, you know, in my opinion, and, and I want to pay you this compliment, you know, you're talking about Daryl Belfry is another person I, I respect. You know, when I, when I look at people like Anatoly Tarasov, we talked about him, Lou Vero, uh, Daryl Belfry, and now you, you know, you all have thought outside the box to change the game. I really think you are changing the game in the way that you do things, right? Um, not just because of your blog, but like I said, I, I can count on one hand the amount of coaches I've had, including you, I mean this, that everything they put out, I learned something every time, right? Most of the time, it's the same thing over and over again. But I, I want to bring that into our, our next question, actually, because a majority of our audience, as I said, is, is parents and kids and coaches that are under 18. Um, and I want to get your thoughts on youth development, you know, from Adams up. Uh, when do you think is a good time to start diving deeper in analytics and tactics uh, as Mike alluded to, you know, when you're in those like lower levels where really the game is just about having fun and falling in love with it. There are some things you can do to outside basic skills, which are very important skating, you know, to teach leadership, to teach tactical awareness, you know, so how do you look at the game? I know you get, you're coaching at a pro level and elite level, but uh, you said you deconstruct, right? Look at the youth hockey levels and, and deconstruct that, that for us about how you'd approach it. So I, I, I would most, uh, I would say I, I would mostly speak from personal experience in that when I was between seven and nine, I played the lowest level of house league. Uh, I was the worst player on that lowest level house league team. And then after that, I kind of got discouraged and I, and I stopped playing for a few years. And uh, it was around 20, uh, 2002 where um, I actually got back into the game because for my birthday, I got a copy of EA Sports NHL 2002 and I started playing it. And then at some point, um, I was looking at the player animation and I was like, hmm, uh, why is this player shooting off of his inside foot? And, and I never thought about shooting that way before. I was just like, you know, before I was trying to lift the puck, but now I'm like, why are they shooting off both feet? Like, what's the difference? So then the very next day, I, I go down to a roller hockey rink near my house. Uh, it was an outdoor roller hockey rink built on top of a tennis court. wasn't very well maintained, but it was there. You know, you can go whenever. And I just started shooting pucks. And that's kind of how I got um, back into falling in love with hockey because I realized that I could actually experiment with stuff. Like, I that's love awesome. playing with Legos. So that was, like, kind of like a very movement-based way for me to, to play around with stuff. And, and that's kind of how I got back into hockey. And... Um, and I guess most kids, they don't have that opportunity of being their own coach. And really being my own coach was how I got back into hockey. So, um, you know, I started playing street hockey with my friends. I started playing roller hockey just by myself. And then within about a year and a half, I started playing organized hockey again. And I now was playing a better level of house league and I was an average player. So instead of being like the worst player on the C team, I was an average player on the A team which is crazy because I skipped three years of hockey. I didn't skate at all. Right? So then afterwards, I was like, okay, well, um, this is really cool because, you know, I, I was hitting puberty. My body was changing. I was getting, I was growing. I was losing baby fat. Uh, my shot was getting better. My skating was getting okay. Uh, then I make high school varsity. Uh, then I go to university. Then I come back and coach high school varsity. So, so that was, for me, the, 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 
the ability or the opportunity to coach myself and be my own skills instructor was really one of the, the most life-changing experiences I had. And I kind of wish that for every single kid playing hockey, you know, in, in that age range, but very few of them do because they're, they're being pulled in different directions and, and they're constantly right. being told what to do. So whenever I see a kid with kind of an initiative to kind of figure things out for himself or herself, uh, I would say that's probably the most important thing. You got to nurture them. And, and, and you got to, you know, if the kid's looking for more ice time or certain resources, you know, give that to him. Don't, don't give it all to him because then he'll, he'll get complacent, but give him a little bit, give him the taste and then uh, let him take it from there. Like I remember in the summers, my parents were like, you're not playing summer hockey. We're, we're not, uh, we're, we're not spending money on that. And then eventually, you know, because of how I was getting better and I was working hard, they're like, okay, well, you're playing three on three once a week. So then I was like, okay, but I like to get on the ice three or four times a week. So what I did was I would take the bus for an hour, go to the rink, and then work as a, as a shooter for a goalie camp. So that's how I would get on the ice. And I loved it because I, I love shooting. And I would, I'd be shooting on kids younger than me. I'd be like sniping in popcorn <laughs> all the time. But that's how I got my ice time. Like I was my own coach. I was my own skills instructor. Uh, I didn't do any off-ice training because I was lazy. So so I, I didn't do that. <laughs> and then I, I was like my own kind of agent, like finding like different places for me to play and, and work out and stuff like that. So that's probably the most important thing. Um, and then everything else is just having access to the right people or the right information. You know, what I love about that story, and, and Jack, by the way, I love that you tell a lot of these answers and stories because people yeah. people remember stories. Yeah. Um, you know, one is that I think you and I are very similar in our journey through the game because <laughs> I was always searching for my own stuff too. But, you know, something I want to tell the parents at home is that either side of that coin is okay. You know, like I remember coaching younger kids this year and I got some parents that say, ah, you know, he's not really competitive yet. He doesn't really want it. Well, I'm like, your kid's seven. It's, it's, that's okay. What's important is that your kid loves the game right now. You know, some of this stuff will come, you know, another great lesson I learned this year. And, and Jack, this is to your point, actually, you paid me a compliment by accident because you, now, now you're making me think I might've done this right. Um, this is my, my son's first year playing Adam. He's seven years old. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I, and I can't really explain this. He has this kind of knack to play defense. He always wants to get back to protect the goalie. He always wants to get back and stop them from scoring. And, you know, it's funny because at first, very first, again, as, as, a, as a new hockey parent, you know, I deal with some of this stuff new hockey parents deal with. My attitude at very first was like, well, you know, you go score. Like, you want to go play offense. And then I quickly turned that off and goes like, if he wants to play defense, I should cultivate this because there's probably not a lot of seven-year-olds that want to play defense. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the other coaches on the team affirmed to me that, you know, look, th that competitive nature of offense may come in time. Next year, he might want to be a goal scorer. But like you said, I started to speak with him at home. We went over defensive, you know, basic defensive strategy. But it, again, to your point, that's where he wants to operate. I'm going to cultivate that and teach him how to be a good teammate and everything else. Um, but like I said, you know, that's where he's at. You know, when you and I were growing up, it sounds like we had that kind of knack for knowledge and to find our own way. I want to say this to parents too. If your kid's not there yet, that's also okay. Find out what your kids love and help them with that right? It, it, the mistake I think parents can make sometimes, and, and, and it's a common mistake, um, is they can vicariously try and live through their kid a little bit too much. And, you, and most of the time, you don't even realize you're doing it, right? You just want something so much. Uh, and I think the key to that, uh, and, and again, this is for the whole panel here, right? 
I think the key to that is sometimes you have to listen more than speak, right? Which is really hard to do with young kids for multiple reasons. But, you know, if you haven't asked your kid before, I don't really care their age. Hey, what do you want to do? Right. I think we missed something, you know, Christy, Mike, again, you, you guys are further down the parenting journey than I am with this, but I always try and ask my son and my daughter too. Now, Hey, what do you want? What do you, what, what are you interested in? Right. Before I try and tell them what I think they should be doing. Right. And also you're going to see signs like Jack, in your case, I mean, you hopped on a bus and, you know, did it on your own. You, you signed up to be a shooter. I mean, that shows self-motivation. I mean, kids, so you just, you'll pick up on whether a kid really wants to pursue and, and you know, go ahead and do the, the summer sessions if they're really passionate about it, they don't want to do anything else. So you look for the signs of the kids, if they're burning out, if they need a break. And if they're like Jack, who just, <laughs> he's got that passion, he's going to find, if he's got a will, he's going to find a way to do it, which is, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think I try to, you know, Jack's story is, is, is so similar to when you hear, um, you know, when I talk to coaches now and parents about, you know, where their kids are and, and what their motivation is. And I'll use that, you know, a similar story when I, I didn't start hockey till I was 11 years old. And the only way I could play like was in the summer is to, you know, uh, volunteer at the rink to clean the boards. And then in between ice cuts, I would get, I would shoot and skate. Right. And, uh, you know, same thing. I get on the train with my father. He's going to New York city and I'd get on the train I, with hockey equipment in the middle of summer. And I get off, I walk a mile down the road to the rink. I'd hang out there all day unsupervised. Nobody knew where I was. I can't even imagine. I wouldn't even do that to my 15 year old right now, <laughs> but I think, you know, but, but I, you know, just, just sitting there all day and in between figure skaters, I'd go, okay, well, I'm going to go skate and I'll try this, but it's that self-exploration, you know, whether you're five years old and you're imagining playing and, and maybe that's where EA sports and some of the video games come into play to Jack's point is you get to see things like, you know, I could try that or I, I, I'm inquisitive right. now to know what that is. And I want to know, how, how a player does that, you know, unless it's, you know, how to do 15 right-hand jabs. I don't know. But other than that, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity for kids to learn and explore and listening to your child. And it's hard though, because we all want to guide the kids like, no, 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 this is what you want. And, and I know you want this. No, no, you always say I want it, but that's not what I want. And yet you hear it over and over and over again. And I think that's such a important point uh, to all of us to really remember, you know, and you watch the journey of where players come from, how they got there. And where that endpoint is, there's many, many, many ways to get there. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's refreshing to hear, you know, somebody at Jack's level of, you know, where he's working with these high performance athletes. I do the same thing. Every, you know, private group that I work with or the, 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 the pro kids or the, or the semi-pro kids and the college kids I work with, I always ask them too, like, what do you want out of this? I know dad is the one that got the lessons. He's the one that's paying. He's the one that's working on the schedule but what do you want not with him in the room what do you want because then i need right. to know what kind of what kind of push i can give like am i just here collecting a paycheck or can i motivate you in a different way that i can drive you and find out what you need not what dad thinks you need because that's not going to help me get through to the athlete and i think that's a great point to you listen to any of your kids on your teams if you have the time and and you can carve that out as a coach so what, what, what I would also add is, um, you know, like based on my story, you would think that I, I was a very motivated, very hardworking person, but I, I'm incredibly lazy in other ways. Like 
uh, as I said, uh, I, I can't remember of any summer where I spent more than five minutes training my sprints or lifting weights. You know, like I, I was incredibly lazy in that way. Like before I discovered hockey for this, for the second time, I would stay at home and eat pizza pockets and, and play video games all day. Like my parents hated me for that. Right. Like I was, <laughs> I, I was just a typical fat kid, but it's all about kind of like going beyond like, okay, is this kid lazy or is he not lazy? It's more like, how is he lazy? When is he lazy? And right. when is he self-motivated? Like everybody has that little area in, in his personality where like for him some or her, something that you would consider work, he would consider play. He can do it for hours. Yeah. And, and I was lucky enough to find something and then have the resources where I can just indulge in that. And, and because of that, I'm seen as a hardworking person, but really I'm not like, it wasn't, you know, taking a bus for an hour wasn't a big deal for me. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's a bigger deal to take a, the bus an hour to go to school than to go to hockey practice for me. Like that, that was just, that there was no comparison. Right. So it's, it's more about finding kind of, as you said, like things that the kid wants to do and things that speak to him or her. Right. Well, and Jack, here's the deal. I'll tell you this. You took the bus because you loved what you were doing at that time, right? Like, and that's why it was easy, right? We all have heard that quote, you know, love what you do and you won't work a day in your life, right? Um, and I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, what's funny about your story, if I'm not mistaken, NHL 2002, that was one with Murray Lemieux on the cover. Is that yep. correct? Yep. Uh, see, you and I have a similar, <laughs> similar wavelength with this. Yep. Um, also, real quick side note, uh, and Jack, I wanted to see if you can confirm this. Um, I used to go to the goalie clinics as well. And the reason I went there, uh, I found out was that that actually made me a better shooter, not just because I was taking shots, but I was learning how goalies would think. Yep. Right. It was, and that was better than any like power shooting clinic I ever did where yep. you're just taking a thousand shots. You start yep. to learn how a goalie thinks yep. you're going to become better. Um, but you make great points about cultivating the aspects of you that work and how you turn that into something. This next question, I was actually going to ask you this last, but it kind of flows perfectly into what we're talking about. Um, one of the parts of your story that I loved was that during your time with the Canadiens, uh, you started to really see deeper into the game than most. As Again, you were a writer at the time. And I read an article that your boss challenged you in a way saying that, you know, what qualifies you to have this opinion? Um, and I, I really think it's important for our followers to hear this story and how it drove you um, because there's way to, ways to be involved in the game outside playing, uh, but it takes the same level of work and commitment of a player to get there. And, you know, th my parallel story to this, if, if, if I may, was, um, you know, I've worked in the game at several points. So there was a time I was not in the game and I was watching um, one of those outdoor game kind of documentaries. It was the Flyers versus, I believe, uh, Rangers Road to the Winter Classic. Uh, I'm sorry, Capitals. It was, it was Capitals. And George McPhee, who was the, at the time, the uh, GM of the Capitals, they asked him a question about fans, right? And he goes, I remember, I'll never forget this because it really changed my trajectory. He said that, yeah, fans are great. I love fans and, you know, we need our fans. He goes, but the truth is this. He goes, if they knew anything about the game, they'd be in the game. All right. And I remember, I thought that was kind of harsh for him to say, but I also remember thinking, I need to get back in the game. Like I need to be in the game, right? So, that moment, at least it seems like from what I was reading, when you were challenged of what qualifies you seemed to kind of be a lit, lit, lit a fire, for lack of a better reason. And you pursued it to the point that you're coaching in the AHL and you're with NHL organizations. So could you just dive into that story for a minute? And then, like I said, explain what that spark was like and, you know, 
how you drove yourself to go beyond just the status quo? Um, I, I've always had like a very kind of combative personality. Like my, my teachers, uh, a lot of my teachers didn't really like me cause I talk back and stuff, uh, <laughs> but like, like not in like a troublemaking way, but more like, um, just because you're a teacher doesn't mean that I'm going to take what you say as gospel, that, that kind of thing. Right? right. I can see how they would be annoyed by that. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> um, and at that point, and I mean, my, my grandfather was a teacher. So like, you know, teachers didn't really impress or intimidate me necessarily. And, and like, I, I'd always done well at school, but I just like, it wasn't, uh, I just felt like school was a thing where, you know, you would do better if you went along and I didn't always go along and, and same thing in, in, in the real world, I guess also, but, um, <laughs> could say that. <laughs> so, so what would happen, what happened with the, with the Canadians was, uh, I started using kind of references to advanced the uh, analytics, like Corsi and stuff like that in my articles. And I was trying to get more in depth in terms of like, okay, well, this is like what the line combinations were, and this is like what they did and stuff like that. And then basically my, my editor was like, you know, like our casual, like, the people reading us are casual fans. Like they don't really care about this. You, you know, uh, and also what makes you qualified to, to talk about this in this way. And on the one hand in my head, you know, we sat down for this meeting and, and he laid it on me. And, and, and on the one, on the one hand, I was like, uh, screw you. Okay. <laughs> and, and on the other hand is like, well, you know what? He, he's totally right because I don't have, uh, a resume that included, you know, coaching experience at a high level or, or working in hockey ops at any level after high school. Um, and, and then luckily enough, my contract didn't get renewed after that season. So I went to McGill, I, I did all the stuff I wanted to do and the rest is history kind of thing. So, and, and that guy I know is still in that same job. He hasn't progressed whatsoever in eight years. So, you know, there, there you have it. So, so really, uh, you know, a lot of my motivations is internal, but a lot of it is external as well. It's just the idea that, uh, I just think I can be better than someone if I set my mind to it within reason, of course, I'm not going to be better at hockey than Kale McCarr or Sidney Crosby. Right. But, um, you know, if, if it's coaching or if it's, uh, analysis, if it's writing, then I, I think I can do it. So, so that was essentially it. Uh, yeah. I, I love that answer, man. It, like, here's the thing, Jack, is I, I don't think young people hear that type of story enough. I think we're all told, as you said, sit in your place, follow your role, do what you're told. And again, don't get me wrong for everybody listening. There are absolutely times where your children or you probably do need to do that, right? There, there are times that call for that. But if you know something can be better, if you know you can do better and someone challenges you, like you were challenged, Jack, you know, stand up and move forward. I love that story. And I think it's insanely important for people to hear right? That you don't sit still. Go ahead. Sorry. So, so what, what, what I'll add to that is for the most part, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty law abiding citizen, you know, I follow <laughs> directions for the most part, but I would say that this is actually a great parallel to, to players, right? Because if you watch a great player, whether it's uh, Sidney Crosby, Austin Matthews, uh, and especially a guy like Johnny Gaudreau, who's maybe, you know, not very big, not very fast. Uh, the way that they are productive at the NHL level is they'll play inside their team structure until they don't. 
So maybe nine times out of 10, they're going to be in a good spot for the teammates and they're going to play the structure and they're going to get back defensively. And, you know, they're going to be in the correct place and the coaches are going to like and, and trust them for that. But that 10th time, they're going to lean for offense. They're going to sniff for offense, I would say, or they would do something a little bit unusual, right? They will kind of, they feel something in the pits of their stomach or they'll make a read. And then that's when they get that breakaway or that two-on-one or make that surprising play that allows them to score. So, and for me, it's the same thing, whether you're a student, whether you're someone who's working in a, in a corporate environment, whether you're a hockey player, whether you're a coach, you want to be in structure, but also you want to take your spots and not be in structure because first of all, being in structure most of the time is going to get you the opportunities. It's going to allow you to stay in that, in that position, but then going outside of structure at, at strategic moments, that's really what's going to allow you to get ahead of people and, and you know, break through. Right. Which echoes again, your story with the Canadians and, and yeah. that person still being in the same job. <laughs> so so he, he's in structure 100% of the exactly. time. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I, again, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this too, that this is something that you do so well on your blog is that you'll find players that are breaking out of their structure or doing structure really well and really break it down to show you things. I, I, I please forgive me if I'm wrong here. Did you do one on Adam uh, on Fox on the Rangers on his defensive ability? Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. I, I found that fascinating because you dove into the tiny things that he's doing so well that is making him a Norris candidate, potentially a winner, right? Uh, this year, and I again, that, that's the type of stuff that I love. Um, so I'm going to change gears a little bit here, uh, Jack. And we did talk about this a little bit earlier. You, you were not born in this country. Uh, you said you, you were born in China. And there have been calls for hockey to be more inclusive over the past few years. And I wanted to get your opinion on how do you think the game is progressing with that? And what do you think can be done to continue to make headway in that realm? Well, well, I mean, it's it, it's progressing by that almost by default because basically North America is a far more diverse place than, than even when, when I got here. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm seeing more, you know, Chinese players playing hockey, um, more Latinos, more black players, uh, more Arab players. Like, like it's just happening because the overall look of the population is changing, right? So, so that's, that's the first thing. Um, like the second thing is as these things change, now you have these kind of smaller role models popping up here and there, right? Like Quentin Byfield playing his first NHL game. Some kid's going to see that and then that's going to push him or her to, to play the game or to, to want to be like Quentin Byfield, right? Uh, when I was growing up, I didn't have a lot of role models. We didn't have a lot of Asian people in hockey like Richard Park, who's Korean, uh, was probably the closest thing to, that, that I had as a role model as, as an NHL player. Uh, I didn't even know that Paul Korea was half Japanese because for me, like he, he was just white. Um, I, I learned that later. But then there were other kind of really subtle role models um, when uh, the, the French version of Hockey Night in Canada hired uh, Danielle Sauvageau, who was the female head coach. Um, she coached uh, Team Canada at the 2002 Olympics uh, and won the gold medal with the women's team. I was like, okay, well, at least, uh, you know, they're hiring women in broadcasting now. She never played the game. Uh, she was a good coach, obviously. But um, so that that kind of became a bit of a role model for me too. And, and that's why I, I'm really into women's hockey because just the fact that it wasn't the same people and it was a little bit different, that kind of gave me hope. So I was basically looking for role models, wherever I can find them, you know, like, whereas today I think kids can be way pickier 
in ways that that I wasn't. But but it's always, I think, is always becoming more inclusive. And and for for me, it was just it wasn't really about that at all. Growing up, I wasn't I was never like, oh, I'll be the first Chinese person to do this or that. It was just like, I want to do this. I like this. I'm going to do it well, and I'm going to do it better than you. So you know, for for me, that that was good enough. I love that answer as well uh, for multiple reasons. You know, Christy, I want to turn it to you real quick. Uh, any chance we can we can call out what your daughter's doing and and with her uh, her committee? I want you to at least tell Jack about that a little bit too, because I think oh, I'm sure phenomenal. Jack is aware of it. Um, right. The the college kids are all getting together. Uh, they formed a, a big committee nationwide to come up with strategies on how to make hockey more inclusive and to get the message to every rink in America that hockey is for everyone. And they've pulled from um, all levels of hockey to just brainstorm on what we need to do better to make sure that no kid feels like they can't play to empower them. Women, uh, you know, men of all races, of all color, all ethnicities, come and join this amazing game and you can help change it and make it better. So I'm really proud of her. She, uh, they're, they're coming up with some good strategies and hopefully by the end of the semester, this semester, they can come up with some sort of a game plan, so to speak, to do better, to make hockey more inclusive. So um, yeah, so we're, we're taking steps. We're getting there, we got a long way to go. So to, uh, to, to your point about, um you know, bringing more people into hockey. I, I think that's certainly an important part of it, but the other part is actually helping people stay in hockey. So right. for me, the one of the biggest opportunities in the game right now is women's players who played at a high level, but aren't good enough to play at the international level. So when I was at McGill, I must've coached 60 or 70 girls over the years. Um, one of them is on the Canadian national team, Melody Daou. So she, she's a great player, but I would say probably three quarters of them don't play hockey at all anymore, which is a shame because um, they were all good players. They all got good coaching. They can, uh, and they could all, get, all be good coaches or role models, except there's not really a venue for them to continue. So now you have the NWHL, you have the, um, the PH, uh, the PWH. No, I have problems with it too. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The yeah, other but, one. Yeah. The, the, other the dream one. gap tour. That's what I yeah, say. Ex- yeah. The dream gap tour. <laughs> you have that. But, but then w- what about, you know, your average D3 player or your average D1 player who don't get the opportunities to continue, whether it's because they found a real job. So, you know, they have, they, they have a career now and they don't have time for hockey or, you know, they're not good enough to make one of those professional teams or, or a national team, or uh, maybe they don't have the financial ability to continue playing the game because, you know, you're getting pay, paid a little bit or not at all. So for me, the, the thing to grow the game is, is to create a generation of not necessarily women professional players, but women hockey professionals. So whether you're a coach, whether you're, you're in skills development, uh, one of my former players is... I think one of the best skills coaches in Quebec right now, she's my age, she's, she's uh, 32 or so. Um, she's a hockey professional. Like she played in the pro leagues uh, in Montreal before, but now she's, she's, you know, making a career out of passing her skills on. And who is she passing these skills on to? What's probably kids, maybe kids from disadvantaged areas, maybe kids who are new to hockey. So the way to bring more people in is to help more people stay in the game. Right. And 
giving them you know some real career options not just as players but as coaches and and so on and so forth right and so i think right. those yeah, and you're, hand you're hand. right it's limited i mean you can't really play at the upper level i mean there are more opportunities for women as college coaches now and um, you know we have women who are refing our college games too which is fantastic to see but you're right as far as playing professional hockey extremely limited that's going to change you know, just as we start to close things out here, I'll just say this, and, and Jack, your story proves this too, that it doesn't matter what gender you are, where you come from, wherever you're from on the globe, if if you're around the game and you fall in love with the game, you fall in love with the game. It's not owned by anyone. Um, and that, you know, anyone that falls in love with the game can do amazing things. I have always been amazed to hear the stories, Jack, yours included, of people that get into this game and they make it their life's work. And I think that uh, whether that's playing or anything in between, and I think you're right that, you know, we, we don't look enough at the opportunities for, uh, you know, women or people of color or, or multinational people in the game itself. And, you know, are we creating those opportunities for everybody? But I'll tell you, man, you are a trailblazer and I think, you know, you really inspire me. I, I'm not, I'm not just saying that cause you're on the show. Uh, you know, I've been following you since, since a mutual friend of, of Mike and I, Bryce Salvador kind of shared your information with me. And I said, wow, this, this is amazing. <laughs> I mean, I am inspired. Um, before I close it out, Mike, I want to turn it to you. I didn't get to you much this episode and I apologize. Uh, there's anything else you want to ask or say before we, uh, we move on. No, I mean, I just, again, I'd echo, I'd echo you and just, uh, you know, following Jack and, and really exploring, you know, all the different avenues of how he looks at hockey and whether you agree with him or not uh, as a coach, it's, you have to take in all those considerations of understanding, you know, how does this person look at a breakdown? How does this person look at skill development? How does this person look at, um, you know, the way a player is positioning themselves for success and then, you know, I, I say this all the time with my, you know, anybody that wants to debunk cross ice or small area games or all this, you know, uh, mites playing half ice, show me the other way and I'll go with you. You, you prove to me that it works right. and I'll go with you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for the best way. But, you know, when you, when you watch and you read Jack's information, you're seeing the best way. So dive into it, debunk it try to right and i'm sure jack would love that challenge and go ahead you know just got to get it and don't and i think you know the big biggest message i think in this episode too is you know don't think because you played hockey and you all your life you played hockey and you're always a high level triple a player and played pro and you know that automatically you're going to get into you get a whistle around your neck and and be the smartest person in the room and i think uh you know you have to look and, and understand that everybody looks at the game from a different perspective and I think what Jack's done is educate himself and probably from more of a blank slate, Jack. I mean, that, you know, you didn't have a lot of those influences that maybe a lot of these other players did. And you found the, you found a way to take all the influences of the people that you were able to read. And, and, and you're certainly being around guys like Daryl and, and the pro guys you're around uh, getting the opportunity to, you know, you know, build your own path, which is great. And congratulations. So, so uh, I, I guess to sum up, I'll, I, I will share my secret with you in, in terms of how I got here. So, so there's two of them. Okay. Um, and, and I'm not joking. These, these are actually my secrets, but the first one is sure. You know, I didn't have a traditional upbringing in the game. I didn't, I didn't play at a pro level. My parents didn't play. Um, I was born in another country, obviously, but first of all, I've been successful because I, I, I have fewer bad habits to unlearn. 
in terms of how to think about the game. And the second thing is, and this goes back to why my newsletter is, is free if you just want to read the articles. Uh, there is a paying option if you want to sign up for weekly uh, courses with me. But the, the, basically the articles are free because by writing an article and sharing my ideas with you and sharing my perspective with you, I will always be a step ahead of you, but also I'm learning at the same time. So the more I write, the more I share for free, actually the, the better I get. So it's like, you know what I know, but you know what I know about five minutes ago. So I'm, I'm five minutes ahead <laughs> of you. Right? You know, Jack, I can't wait to tease that to our audience that you have to listen to this entire episode to get the Jack hand secrets <laughs> before we're going to find out. But uh, look, man, I, I really want to tell you that I appreciate you coming on here today. Uh, for our listeners, um, I've never done this before. Uh, I am giving this man's blog my absolute highest recommendation. I rarely do that. Uh, I, I, am, I am happy that you were five minutes ahead of me with your blog, <laughs> man, because it, it, is, it is, as I said in the beginning, it's transcendent. It is informative. It is well-written. It is well put together. It really is going to change the game. Um, and Jack, just so I don't butcher this, could you please tell people the easiest way to find that blog? So um, the easiest way to find my blog is actually on Twitter. So if you go on, on Twitter, my uh, my Twitter screen name is J-H-A-N-H-K-Y. And then once you have that, well, it's uh, my, my newsletter is J-H-A-N-H-K-Y.substack.com. So, Perfect. so sign up for my Twitter if you have it. If you don't, just go to the newsletter or just type in my name on Google because it's been searched so much that it'll just <laughs> pop up. So, so Jack, Jack, and Jack yeah. you, you really, I mean, hockey and the, yeah. yeah, please keep opening up eyes. And I got to just say, you are light years ahead of me. Talk about five minutes, <laughs> light years ahead of me. Okay. Thank you. I really learned a lot today. You're, you're amazing. Well, 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 th thank you for having me on. And, and it's, it's actually really nice for me to be able to verbalize my thoughts. And, and because I, I was able to verbalize, now I understand my own thought process better. So it's helped me as well. So thank you for that. No, that's wonderful. And Jack, we'll make sure that for all the listeners or the watchers, obviously your blog will be somewhere linked to this, to this video. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for joining us today. That's obviously going to do it for this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. Thank you, Jack Hand, for being here. Uh, you can check out all of our episodes, all of our interviews, everything at OurKidsPlayHockey.com or look on Facebook, follow the page. You can listen, watch, do whatever you want with this show. It's wherever podcasts can be heard. Uh, for Krista Casciano Burns and Mike Benelli, I'm Lee Elias, and we'll see you on the next episode of Our Kids Play Hockey. Have a great day, everyone.